Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. And I want you to take your Bibles this morning, as we do every single week here at City Point Church, and I want to invite you to a passage of Scripture in the New Testament, the second half of your Scriptures, the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one of the four Gospels. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, there's one underneath a chair real, no, real close by to you. Uh, you can take that copy, you can use that copy, and page 847 will get you right to where we are in John 14. When you're there, hang on to that text, we'll read it in just a moment. We've been in a series called Jesus in His Own Words. We are studying the seven I am statements of the Gospel of John. And we are in the sixth installment, the sixth statement, which means we've got one more to go. And so today we're going to be studying where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I heard a story this past week. Um, It it happened actually back in the 90s, but I just heard about it this past week. The story of an F-16 fighter pilot who was running his, doing his rounds and flying his rounds on a military operation in the Middle East. And it was under the black of night, actually it was after midnight by the time he was able to take off. And as soon as this fighter jet took off from the runway and began to ascend into the skies, he hit bad weather. A storm had, had been forming and he flew through that weather. And as he flew through that weather, his inertial navigation system, INS, glitched out and went black. That system is what calculates the position and the orientation and the velocity of that jet so that it can go where it needs to go and do it in a pro- on a proper course. So in just those few moments, this, this pilot was literally flying dark, didn't know up from down, didn't know where he was going, didn't know, couldn't see the horizon. And you can imagine if, if you were in that position, the, the fear, the anxiety, the sense that starts to come over you because you've got to act pretty quickly to make a decision. Well, this pilot really had one of two choices in his mind. He could either continue at about the 45-degree angle of ascent and, and just continue at that ascent until he came out on the other side of that storm and then level off when he can kind of figure out his bearings and where he's going, or he could go with his manual altitude reader on the dash in the cockpit there, and he chose to go with the latter. Well, it was the black of night in the middle of a storm, and so as he's trying to read that manual reader on the dash of his cockpit, he can't see it. And so again, time is passing, and with each passing second, he doesn't really know where he's flying or where he's going. Well, he begins to turn on different dials and, and, and buttons and switches in the cockpit to try to get some light and illuminate the cockpit so that he can read that manual altitude reader. And by the time he gets enough lights on so that he can see what he's looking at, to his horror, he realizes that he's no longer climbing at a 45-degree angle. He has now turned about 170 degrees, and his nose is pointed at the ground. He's flying straight towards the earth. Well, he only had a few moments to calculate and to figure out what he was going to do. So in his mind, he began to calculate how much altitude he needed to regain, how much he could pull back on that, on that, that stick so that he could regain altitude but not create so many Gs that he would black out. So after his calculations, he begins to pull back. And based on his calculations, he would level off at about 1,500 feet above the ground. Things were going great. 
until he cleared those clouds and saw through the black of night that he was quickly approaching the ground. His calculations were wrong. He was not going to level off at 1,500 feet above the ground. He was actually going to level off at negative 500 feet below the ground. And at this point, it was too late for him to pull the cord and be ejected from his jet. So he pulled back as hard as he could on that stick. He engaged the afterburner. He closed his eyes. He said a quick prayer, expecting for his life to be over. And after a few seconds passed, he began to sense that it was leveling off. And as he peeked out that cockpit window, he saw that he had cleared the ground 20 feet above it. That condition that that pilot was facing in that cockpit as he was flying dark is what is known as spatial disorientation. Pilots experience it. Deep sea divers experience it. You just lose all sense of direction. You don't, you don't know up from down. You, you, you don't know where you are. Things are dark. Things are black. And that is the type of a condition that we find the disciples in in John 14. They're disoriented. Everything that they had known for the past three years, everything that they had committed their lives to, they had left their families, they had left their, their careers, they had left their past, and they had followed this man, this rabbi named Jesus, and now they're beginning to sense that things are about to change. They're in an upper room. Many of the houses in antiquity had these large upper rooms for meals and for socializing and for gathering, and they were up in the upper room, and this is known as the upper room discourse. It's the longest continual discourse between Jesus and his disciples in the New Testament. It, it spans several chapters in the book of John. But Jesus is beginning to make these cryptic statements like, I'm going away and you're not going to be able to come with me. On top of that, he's saying things like, somebody in here is going to betray me. And their minds are starting to go every which direction and they're beginning to lose all sense of stability and what's happening and what's about to happen and what is the future going to hold. And so it's into this scene and situation that Jesus speaks those words at the beginning of chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You see, their hearts were troubled. And they were disillusioned and they were confused and they were fearful and they were anxious so I want you to look at it with me, and I want you to see what Jesus chooses to say and what he chooses to speak into this situation. John chapter 14, we'll read verses 1 down through verse 7. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Here's the big idea. It's the through line. It sits over top of the text we're going to study this morning. Jesus stabilizes troubled hearts regardless of turbulent circumstances. If you're keeping notes, write that down. 
Jesus stabilizes troubled hearts regardless of turbulent circumstances. The life that these disciples had come to know and love is about to change. Everything that they had been a part of for the past three and a half years was about to end. They didn't really know what it was going to look like, but they knew that things were starting to change and they were losing all sense of orientation. Has your life ever been turned upside down? Have you ever been in a spot like this where you just felt like you couldn't even find up? You didn't know where north was. You didn't know where the horizon was. Maybe it came as your spouse used the D word for the first time and it was more than a threat. Maybe that moment overcame you when the doctor walked into the room and said, you're going to need to sit down for what I'm about to say. Maybe it was a career that you spent years studying and pursuing and building and all of a sudden you're sensing that that's all unraveling and God must have something different for you. Or maybe it was when a child or a sibling or a lover died unexpectedly and you're left with a hole where they used to be. Maybe it was a string of events in your life where trial after trial after trial after trial, the left and the right hook just seemed to keep hitting you and blowing you and disillusioning you and just knocking all the sense out of you. Or maybe you just have committed an egregious sin. And you can't believe what you just did. And you know that the future is going to look different from the past. And you don't know what to do. If you've ever been in a situation like that, you are in a situation similar to the feelings that the disciples have in this moment. And it's into that situation that Jesus speaks something about himself. I love this. Jesus doesn't say, here are some things you need to do. Jesus says, this is who I am. M. And by telling them who he is, it stabilizes their heart. Like an instrument cluster showing all of the proper altitude and speed, the statements that Jesus makes are meant to stabilize the disciples' hearts and minds regardless of their present feelings, perceptions, and anxieties. Because Jesus stables troubled hearts regardless of turbulent circumstances. So how does the reality of who Jesus is stabilize our hearts when it's troubled? I want to answer that question for us this morning. As a matter of fact, I believe that God and his word is going to answer that question from this text. Jesus gave me my outline this week. It was pretty easy. He gave me my three points. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I said, okay, I'm going to stick with that, Jesus. So there's our outline. That's where we're going. It's going to look like this if you're keeping notes. Number one, because Jesus is the way, I walk his path. Verse 6, Jesus says to them, I am the way. Now the context, as we read a moment ago, of chapter 14 is a conversation about heaven. I want you to see it there. Verse 1 again, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Then he says, in my Father's house... Are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Now we have to take just a moment before we sit in this point of Jesus being the way, and I need to debunk, I need to bust a heaven myth. 
Oftentimes people read a passage like this and they just assume that heaven is this place that we will one day go to where we will have this disembodied experience separated from the material world and there's going to be a room up there or depending on your translation, maybe you're getting a mansion and the size of that room or the size of that mansion is dependent on how you live for God here and on earth below. And so here we all are trying to make our plans, and I'm hoping that, like, Amy's my neighbor, you know, and I'm hoping that I've got, like, marble countertops and a walk-in shower because, hey, I've got this room and I've got this mansion, and Jesus says, I'm going to prepare that place for you. I'm sorry if this ruins your day, but that's not quite what Jesus was trying to communicate. You see, when Jesus said to the disciples, in my Father's house are many rooms, the word house the phrase Father's house speaks of the temple. In the Old Testament, the Father's house was his temple. It was his dwelling place. It was where God would meet with men. And in Solomon's day in 1 Kings, the disciples would have known this. It would have been in the context of their understanding. Solomon's temple had many rooms all around the temple. And those rooms were used when the tithes were brought in as a storehouse. Those rooms were used for Levites and priests who were serving in that temple. So nothing out of the ordinary here when he says, my father's house has many rooms. But when Jesus says, I go to prepare, he's not saying I'm going to be a general contractor and I'm going to put some framing up and do some plumbing and do some electrical. That's not what he's saying he has to go do. He's saying there is still work to be completed to make that destination, to make that place possible for you. I still have work to complete. In other words, he's speaking of his coming death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. I have work to do that will prepare the way to that destination. But then he also says, I will come again and take you to myself. The emphasis is on our proximity to Jesus. It's about being with Jesus. Yes, it's a place, but it's also about a person. So Thomas, after Jesus sets this up and explains some of this, Thomas has some questions. I love Thomas. Thomas is like my kind of guy. He's the guy in the room that's going to ask all the questions that nobody else wants to ask, but they're all thinking. So he says in verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and we don't know the way. Like, where are you going, and how do you get there, Jesus? Like, clue us in a little bit here. And Jesus says, the destination, it's a relationship with the Father. And the way, that's me. Why is this important? Why is it important to understand that Jesus is the way? Well, because Christianity is not just about ending up at some abstract place in the sky. It's about knowing and walking with Jesus. It's about having a relationship with the person who is the way to God. Christianity is often misunderstood. And it's misunderstood in one of two ways. It is either diluted or it's convoluted. It's misunderstood when it's diluted when somebody says, well, your way is like my way and every way is about the same. This is kind of the all roads argument. Like your road gets you there. My road gets, gets me there. That guy's road gets him there. Her road gets her there. And, and, and now everything sort of becomes Christianity. Well, if that all roads argument is true, in order to gr- agree with that, we have to disagree with what Jesus just says. Because Jesus actually says, I am the way, and no one comes to the Father except through, through me, Jesus says. Now, before we get upset about the exclusive, exclusivity of Jesus, understand that exclusivity is kindness. 
Jesus is not giving us some open-ended question and we get to fill in the blank and hope that we get the right answer. Jesus is not even giving us a multiple choice where there's four options and we have a 25% chance of getting the right answer. Jesus is saying, I am the answer. Write my name in the blank. I am the way to God. Exclusivity is kindness because it takes out all of the guesswork. But some want to say that, well, just every way and any way, and when they say that, they dilute the way of Jesus. But the other way that Christianity is misunderstood is when it's convoluted. In other words, it's made more complex than what Jesus ever intended it to be. Churches come along and religions come along and spiritual leaders come along and they try to add to Jesus. Well, you have to do these things and you have to, you have to check these boxes and you have to complete this list and you have to pray these prayers and you have to... You have to do good deeds and you have to round up to the nearest dollar when you check out to give to the local charity. And if, you, if you'll do all of these things, those things in and of themselves are not bad. Don't, don't misunderstand me. They're just not the way. That is not the way. Because if the way is what I do, then I have made myself my own Savior. And Jesus is saying, you are not your Savior. I am the Savior because I am the way. The early Christians in the book of Acts were actually called people of the way. And so what we need to do this morning is we need to check our feet. We need to check our feet because by checking our feet, we can see what path we're on. Dorothy is never going to make it to the Emerald City if she doesn't follow the yellow brick road. That's the way to the city. And Jesus is the way to the Father. And if you are not on the path, if you are not on the road of Jesus, you will not make it to the Father. And in his kindness, Jesus is laying this out for us. But let me just say a word to you this morning if your heart is troubled. If you're in the room and you're disillusioned and you feel like you're flying dark, keep walking the path. Jesus is the way. I, now I know, if you're like me, you want, you want to know the destination. If you're like Thomas, hey, where are you going? You know what he's asking? What's the destination? What's the destination? Can we just be there already? But you know what Jesus says? I'm not going to give you the destination. I'm going to show you the way to the destination. So we want the pain of the divorce to be over or the security of the better job or we want the comfort of the clean bill of health. We want the answer to the question. We want the solution to the problem. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm not necessarily going to give you the solution. I'm not necessarily going to give you the answer, but I am going to show you the way. I'm going to show you the path. So just keep walking on the path. One step in front of the other. Walk with Jesus. He is the way, my friend. He is the way. Walk with him. How does Jesus stabilize my troubled heart? Well, because Jesus is the way, I walk his path. Number two, because Jesus is truth, I trust his person. Second statement in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, and then he says, I am the truth. I am the way and the truth. So why do I say trust his person? Why did I choose that word for this outline? Because he's asking you to trust his very character. As a matter of fact, by saying that he is truth, Jesus is saying that he is God. Look at verse 1 again of our text. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Do you see what he just did there? He is claiming to be God. You believe in God? You're trusting God? You're putting faith in God? Put trust in me too. 
Not because I'm any different, not because I'm in competition with God, but because I am the I am. There's a quote that I read this week by a theologian named D.A. Carson. I'm going to put it up on the screen because it just it drives this home. These are his words. He says, Jesus is the truth because he embodies the supreme revelation of God. He himself narrates God. Says and does exclusively what the Father gives him to say and do. Indeed, he, Jesus, is properly called God. Now, if you're still a little skeptical, if you're still wrestling this a little bit here this morning, I want you to look again in our text down at verse 7, because Jesus is going to expand on this idea of being God. Sounds like the disciples may have been a little skeptical as well, even after three and a half years of walking with him. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Look at what Philip says in verse 8. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Okay, Jesus, you say we've seen the Father. Can we see him? Prove it. Show us the Father. He didn't realize what he was asking. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? You can hear the patience in Jesus with Philip. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Because we're the same. We are one and the same. I am truth because I am God. God is truth and so am I. And so because Jesus is truth, he always points true north. If you ever have one of those old school compasses, not the kind in your car, the digital kind, because that just shows you the direction you're going. I'm talking about the old school kind. The old school kind. What do they do? That old school compass, it only points one direction based on the magnitude of the earth. It points north. So if you're not going the direction it's pointing, north is actually that way. If you're, not, if, you're not, if you're walking this way, the compass is pointing that way. So you know the direction you're going based on that compass pointing north. And so if you're going a direction other than north and you want to be going north, you better change course. You better alter your course based on what that compass is reading. And so when we as followers of Jesus walk in truth, we are walking toward God because he points north. He is true. Truth, by definition, can't be relative. All directions can't be north. And so we read a statement like this, and we might wrestle with it in our heart a little bit if we're honest. Jesus is saying, I am the truth. And it sounds like him saying, I'm right, you're wrong. And that feels a little arrogant, doesn't it? But I want you to understand something this morning. I am not saying that I am right or that I am truth. I am not even saying that this church is truth. I am not saying that the spiritually abusive pastor from your past was the truth. As a matter of fact, if this church ever deviates from Jesus, this church is wrong. If I, as one of your pastors, ever deviates from the truth found in Christ, then I am wrong. So I'm not saying that a, that a church or a person in your life is truth. I am saying that Jesus is truth. And so he alone points true north. And so what we want to do and what we desire to do in our lives as followers of him is to read the compass and to keep walking the way that he is pointing. And when times get tough and when life becomes unstable, what does truth do for troubled hearts? It dispels lies. Satan loves to come in 
when your life is turned upside down and he loves to speak lies. You're not good enough. No one will ever love you again. This is all your fault. God is never going to use you again. And what do you do? Look at the compass. Because those lies are pointing you the wrong direction. Truth corrects our feelings. I can promise you this. When you're experiencing spatial disorientation, you are going to question truth. You are going to think that the horizon is this way when the horizon is actually that way. And so what truth does is it corrects the feelings, the, that gut feeling that I need to pull up or I need, to, I need to push down, I need to change course, I need to alter course. Truth corrects those feelings. But truth also adjusts our course because that compass never lies. So walk in truth. Trust Jesus. He is God. He is good. And he is truth. And if you're here this morning and your world is turned upside down and you feel that disorientation, you have a good and faithful guide. You have one who will only point you toward what is true. So trust him. Trust his person. That he is in fact God. Because Jesus is the way I walk his path, because Jesus is truth, I trust his person. And number three, here is the truth found in Jesus that stabilizes my troubled heart. Because Jesus is life, I abide in his presence. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, if this sounds a little redundant, if you've been walking with us the past couple of weeks in this series, it's because it is. Life is one of the themes of the book of John. Now I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to give you the Greek word underneath that word life. And the reason I want to do that is because sometimes we use a word so many times it loses significance. But the word that John uses and that Jesus uses to describe himself, that word life is the word zoe. Zoe. And it means more than just existing. It means abundance. It means thriving. It means whole-bodied health. So when God says, or when Jesus says, I am life, when, when he says, I am the life, he is saying, I am coming to give you something more than just an existence. I have come to give you a thriving. I have come to give you an abundance. And that abundance is found in myself, Jesus says. All throughout the book of John, chapter 1, in him was life, Zoe. And the life was the light of men. Book in that at the end, near the end of the book of John in chapter 20. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, Zoe, in his name. As a matter of fact, this very series, he is the bread of life. He is the light of life. He is the resurrection and life. He is the door. And if you walk through that door, you will find pasture and go in and out and find abundant life. It's who he is. It's what he's come to offer. So because he is life, we abide in his presence. Well, what is abiding? What, is, what does that mean? To abide means to live in his life. To make a home. To stay. To remain. I'm curious. By a show of hands, we're going to have a little congregational involvement here this morning. By a show of hands, how many of you, when you go to a hotel on a trip, you unpack your suitcase and you put the clothes into the dresser. Where are you? Where are you? Okay. You are my hotel abiders. Okay. When you get to that, that vacation destination, you want to settle in. So you unpack your suitcase, you put it in the dresser, and you abide in that hotel. Okay. 
How many of you, I'm curious, how many of you then go home from your vacation and you live in your home out of your suitcase? Are you still living out of your suitcase? Okay, we've got issues, folks. Hopefully, I think I may have had more on that second. You guys ruined that illustration, Ryan. The idea is that most people, when they go on vacation, are just going to kind of live out of their suitcase. And most people, other than Ryan and Aaron, are going to go home and they're going to, they're going to like, unpack. Here's what abiding in a relationship with Jesus is. It's saying, okay, Jesus, let's unpack. We're going to stay here. We're going to live here. As a matter of fact, I want you to see again in our, in our context, same conversation. Look down in chapter 14, verse 23. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him. I love that. Jesus is saying, I and the father will both come to him. But notice this, and make our home with him. Two things about the word home in verse 23. Home is the same noun. It's the same word found in our, chap, in our portion today when he says, in my father's house are many rooms. Rooms and homes is the same word. But the second thing you need to understand about the word home in verse 23 is that that's the noun form of the verb abide. So to make your home or to have God make his home with you means to unpack the suitcase and to live there. To live in his life. But I'm afraid that too many Christians are existing rather than truly living. You don't have the abundance. You don't experience that. Your, your, your marriage is just existing. The love and the passion and the purpose, it's gone out. Your home you're just existing. Your family, you're just, you're just existing. You're just kind of going through the rat race of life, getting the kids up, feeding them breakfast, getting them off to school, going to the job, paying the bills. There's just sort of this sense of I'm just existing. There's no real zoe. There's no real life. There's no real thriving here. In your career, you're just existing. You pay bills because of what you do, but there's no real fulfillment. There's no real advancement of God's kingdom because we are all called to be kingdom advancers as followers of Jesus. Spiritually, you might be here this morning and you're just existing. When's the last time you heard God speak to you? When's the last time you sensed his presence in prayer? When's the last time his word just leaped off the pages and ministered to your heart? Because you're just existing. There's no real thriving in your spiritual relationship with Christ. Even in your involvement and, and your attendance here at church, you're just sort of going through the motions. But i got to tell you this morning, you were made for more. Christ has made you and saved you for more. He's made you and saved you for life in his name so that you would not just have an existence, but you would have a thriving, abundant relationship. And that relationship and that thriving comes through abiding with him, living and remaining in his presence. Abiding requires time. It requires space. Now, if you're a theologian in the room this morning, you might be arguing with me a little bit about abiding. And I get it. Abiding is a synonym for salvation. It's not something we come in and out of. It's not something we necessarily lose. More on that next week. But even, even in salvation, it's never meant to just be this static relationship, but a dynamic one. 
a relationship where we are connected as a branch to the vine. Jesus is the vine and we are connected to him. But there is life flowing through that connection. And so as we create space and make time for Jesus, that nutrients comes into our life and we are in his presence. And if you're here this morning and your life is sideways and turned upside down, probably the last thing that you want to do is really take time to slow down and be with Jesus. You're in survival mode. You're in fight or flight mode. You know that you've lost all sense of direction, but listen, friend, the thing that you need the most is to be with your creator, to let him stabilize your heart, to let him settle your fears, to let him be with you in that moment. So here's that big idea. Jesus stabilizes troubled hearts regardless of turbulent circumstances. That's what he does. He speaks into this moment that the disciples are facing and he says, don't let your heart be troubled because he knew that their hearts were. And I'm not going to pretend this morning to fully understand your situation and I'm not going to pretend to have all of the answers, but I do believe that Jesus has some words for you. If you're in that spatial disorientation spot right now and you're just, you, you, you're flying blind, you just, you can't even, you can't even figure out where the horizon is. Things are so chaotic. Jesus wants to speak to you and let you know that he is the way. Tomorrow may seem dark, but stay on the path. Jesus is the truth. When you can't discern where north is, trust, trust that Jesus is pointing that direction. And Jesus is the life. He doesn't want you to just have an existence, but he wants you to have true, abiding life with him. He stabilizes troubled hearts. If you're here this morning and that's you, Jesus wants to come into your tumultuous situation and settle you and calm you and stabilize you. Can we have a moment of prayer together? we pray, I just, I want to be in a spirit of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you just right now in the stillness of this moment would you abide? Would you just unpack the suitcase and say, Jesus, let's just sit here for a while. If you're here and you're in the room this morning, Maybe you're going through it. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's that loved one that in recent days has passed on from this life and you just you can't seem to find your bearings. Maybe it's your own choices. You've gotten yourself into a situation and it's really messed things up. Jesus wants to stabilize your troubled heart. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.